Hello again, everyone. I want to thank you for uh, joining for the sermon this week. This week we are moving back into our study of 2 Corinthians. And before we dive in, just I want to begin by just expressing my hope that you are all doing well and a reminder to those who are affiliated with New Hope, if you have needs or prayer requests, please don't hesitate to reach out. We are still... um, seeking to do our best to care well for you, uh, the elders and myself, during uh, these difficult times. Uh, The leadership team met this past week, and we are in the process of planning for and praying for uh, that day when we are all able to meet together again for worship. And so we are anticipating that, even though we do not know when it will take place. Um, Also today, I want to wish uh, Tom and Joanne Horst a happy anniversary and I'm sure this is not what you all expected to be uh, doing on the day you celebrate your wedding anniversary, but I, I pray that you are blessed today as well. Uh, I mentioned we're jumping back into our study of Second uh, Corinthians today, and we finished off uh, over a month ago. Uh, we were midway through 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And so what I'd like to do for the sake of context as I get started is to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 2 through 16. Now, the sermon today will be taken from uh, verses 8 through 16, but in reading, uh, beginning at verse 2, that gives us a little bit of context to work with as we move forward. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, 
but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for this chance for us to jump back into the book of 2 Corinthians. Lord, I pray for those who will hear this message, uh, both those who are members of New Hope and uh, those who uh, may have come upon this message in other ways, Lord, that uh, as your word is proclaimed and as uh, people hear the truth, Lord, that your spirit would be at work mightily in our lives. Lord, make us a light in the darkness, I pray. Lord, I pray that the light of your gospel would shine in the hearts of any unbelievers who hear this message. And Lord, that they would respond in faith to the good news that you died and rose again to redeem them and to restore them to God. Lord, for the believers who hear this, I pray that this would strengthen their faith. Lord, I pray that it would increase their desire to honor you with every aspect of their lives. And Lord, that you would be glorified through the fruit of this message. Help me, Lord, as I preach. Uh, Help your people to hear well and be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have noticed that... uh, Things are a little different. If you've watched uh, previous messages, I'm trying to use technology a little bit. Uh, If you know me, you know that uh, technology is not my strong suit. So we pray that this goes well. If the things that you see on the screen uh, do not help but serve as a distraction, please reach out this week and let me know. I certainly do not want to do anything that would take away from the word proclaimed. Now, as I was reading uh, this passage, uh, there was a word that you heard uh, mentioned several times, actually a few words, and they all relate to one another. But the word I have in mind is the word repentance. And repentance is an important word for the Christian. Now, in his 95 theses, which lit the fire of the Reformation, Martin Luther began uh, with repentance. Listen to uh, thesis number one. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So we can see that that the word repentance is is an important word, but what does repentance mean? I want to read uh, just part of the New Bible Dictionary's definition of repentance. Repentance is not just as a feeling sorry or a changing of one's mind. But repentance is best understood as a turning around, a complete alteration of the basic motivation and direction of one's life. It's a a conversion that takes place in someone's life. 
simply understood, we, we could understand repentance uh, to be the proper response of someone whose sin has been exposed. For the unbeliever, this involves rejecting our, our former way of life uh, as those who have been enslaved to sin and turning to Jesus in faith. But believers also live a life of repentance. For the believer, it means uh, consistently confessing our sin to God, uh, seeking to be reconciled and, and forgiven, forgiven by those that we may have wronged. And, and with God's help, repentance means seeking to move forward in a greater faithfulness. It's turning away from those aspects of our life that, that reflect who we once were before we came to faith in Christ and, and, and embracing that new life in Christ. So it's turning away from sin and turning towards God in faith and, and greater faithfulness. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we, we see that the Christians in Corinth are a repentant people. Now, it's been over a month since we were last in 2 Corinthians, so a little context is in order. Now, we know that 2 Corinthians is at least the third, but, but probably even the fourth letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And in our study of 1 Corinthians, we learned that this was a very spiritually immature church that was easily swept up into the idolatry of, of hero worship. And this led to factions in the church. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to answer a number of questions that were raised by the Corinthians while also addressing problems that, were, uh, that, that existed in the church. And as Paul wraps up 1 Corinthians, he lets the people know of his plans to visit with them. And we know from 2 Corinthians that Paul did indeed visit, but it did not go well at all. He was met by open resistance by at least one person in the church who attacked his character and even questioned his authority as an apostle. And sadly, the, the rest of the church did nothing to silence this sinful critic. And this led Paul to leaving and writing what we have referred to uh, time and again as his severe letter. And this is what he refers to or references in verse 8. Now, after being attacked and unsupported, Paul wrote this severe letter to address their sin and to call the church to repentance. And Titus, Paul's protege, was tasked with delivering the severe letter. Now here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we finally get to find out what happened once the letter was delivered and read to the church in Corinth. Now, for the most part, up until now, Paul has been, in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been explaining and defending his ministry to the Corinthians, while also calling them to pursue and, and cultivate a God-honoring love for, for he and his associates. This wasn't because Paul was insecure, but, but because he wanted the Corinthians to, to bring glory to God in everything that they did. And he also wanted them to experience the joy that results from doing things God's way. And for the church to get there, it required repentance. Repentance from their sin against Paul, but also a lifestyle of repentance that is evident in all who are truly seeking to honor God with their lives. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul kind of pulls back the curtain and, and reveals his motives for uh, writing the severe letter as well as celebrating uh, the results of the severe letter in the lives of the Corinthians. Paul confronted the Corinthians because he loved them. In our passage today, we, we have a clear example of the type of confrontation and repentance that brings glory to God. And as we work through uh, the rest of chapter 7 today, we're going to do so under three main points. First of all, we're going to consider the need for loving confrontation in Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. Secondly, we're going to consider the goal of loving confrontation and then finally, we're going to end on a high note with the joy of God honoring repentance. And it's my prayer that our lives would be marked by true joy as we, like Luther, pursue lives of daily repentance. Let's look first at uh, verses 8 through 11 as we consider the need for loving confrontation. Verse 8, Paul writes, for even, <clears throat> excuse me, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent, in the matter. Now, if you've ever had to confront someone, whether that be through writing a letter or an email or, or even face to face, then you can relate to Paul's struggle in this confrontation. You, you, we see it right off the bat in verse 8. He, he begins by saying, Even if I made you grieve, I, I do not regret it though I did regret it. Now, is Paul being double-minded here? Well, no, I, I think what he's doing is he's giving us an idea of, of the struggle that he went through in both writing and having this severe letter delivered to the church in Corinth. It couldn't have been an easy letter to write. It's hard to wound people that you love, even when wounding is exactly what is needed. Now remember this section, verses 2 through uh, 7, that I read also with the passage this morning, Paul talks about the love. Make room in your hearts for us. Love us as you ought. Love us because we have loved you well. They needed to be wounded because they lacked the love that is should be evident in every believer's life. Now, notice the, the verb tenses concerning the word regret. I, I, I do not regret it. The first usage in, in verse 
uh, ate, and then, uh, and then again, I did regret it. But then as we look at verse 9, Paul continues, Now I rejoice, not because they were grieved, but because of the result of that grief. They were grieved into repenting. Now, Paul wrestled with whether or not he had been too severe in his letter until he heard from Titus that the Corinthians had repented. And this led to joy for Paul. Love doesn't delight itself in hurting others, but love delights itself in seeing others turn to God in faith. Love delights in seeing others honor the Lord. Paul is is happy because the Corinthians had not only received his letter in its intended loving spirit, but they had also turned from their sin and dealt with those who had attacked Paul during his previous visit. Paul's happy because their repentance proved the sincerity of their faith. In verses 9 through 11, Paul describes uh, the the great joy in their his joy in their response but but also he describes the two types of grief that result from loving confrontation let me read verses 9 through 11 again paul says as it is i rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I'll stop there. In verse 9, Paul steps it up a notch. Not, Not only does he not regret writing the severe letter, but in light of their response, he rejoices. And again, his gladness is not in the pain that he caused, but, but that the needed pain that was caused provoked the proper response. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. There it is, repentance. The, the process of turning away from, from our sin, from our, the process of rejecting our sinful behavior and turning back to God in faith. This brought joy. Paul is glad because the Corinthians responded appropriately when their sin was exposed. His confrontational letter led to the type of grief that leads to repentance, godly grief. Look at the end of verse 9. He says, You felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. What does Paul mean by that? Well, what he's saying is, is that they weren't harmed by Paul's letter. That's what it means by no loss. His letter didn't bring harm, but it actually, in fact, helped them. And this really, to me, brings to mind Proverbs 27, 6, where, where, where it's written, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Paul was being faithful in his wounding of the Corinthians so that they were actually bolstered or strengthened in their faith. They were driven back to God. Now, in verse 10, Paul contrasts two types of grief in relation to sin, and that's the godly grief that that we've seen described in in verse 9, 
and, and again in verse 10, and then also a worldly grief. And, and I'm going to start by focusing first on, on the worldly grief, even though it is second in the text. Brothers and sisters, there is a sorrow over sin that can do us no good, that is of no value to us. One can be sorry that he or she got caught. We can be sorry that we were wrong. We, we can even be sorry that we caused someone else pain. But unless that sorrow brings us face to face with our guilt before God, then it is a worldly sorrow indeed. It's of no good to us spiritually. Worldly sorrow does not lead to new life. In fact, we, we see that worldly sorrow leads to death. Contrast that with the godly grief that Paul describes here. Godly grief, on the other hand, takes us to God, which in turn purifies our actions towards others. We, we want to make things right because we recognize that we've done wrong in the sight of God. Paul's point is simple. True repentance is something that can only exist in the realm of Christianity, only in the realm of those who have been saved. You can be sorry and not saved. And salvation, brothers and sisters, is always in relationship to God. We must be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Paul describes their repentance. He rejoices at their repentance, and then he goes on to describe it. He says, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. The word earnestness could be, uh, could be understood as eagerness or diligence to do what is right. Indignation is, is their attitude towards the sin that was present in their lives. Their fear is, is a reverent fear of the, law, of the Lord. Longing is a, is a deep desire to, to do what is right. Zeal is a jealousy to, for the things that are good. That were the, the reference to punishment is the, is the punishment that they brought upon the wrongdoer. I'll refer back to that a, a little bit later. And Paul says that you have proved yourself innocent in the matter, are sincere. Everything that they had done was evidence that their repentance was sincere before the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful description of, of what happens when when someone or a group of people truly repent, all the things that they recognized that they had done wrong, they made right. They were sorry with a godly sorrow that led them to, to, to take real steps that, that, that proved the genuineness of their faith. So, so confrontation at times is needed. There's a way that we ought to do it as followers of Christ in love, but it's necessary in our lives if we truly love others. We need it ourselves. So let's move on to verse 12, the goal of loving. 
confrontation. Paul continues, So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Now, last week for my own devotions, I I spent time studying Paul's short letter written to a a church leader named Philemon. And Paul writes to Philemon concerning uh, the now converted runaway slave Onesimus. Onesimus was was a servant of Philemon who had run away and, and made his way to Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And, and in meeting Paul, was ultimately converted to the faith. And Paul writes this letter to appeal to Philemon to, to, to not just take Onesimus back, but, uh, but, but, to, but to receive him as a brother. And then, if Philemon is willing, also to, to, to release Onesimus to go back to serve Paul. Now, there is much gold to be mined in this entire letter. But one of the things that really stood out to me uh, as I studied over this past week uh, was the way that Paul appeals to Philemon. He makes his case in such a way that he gives Philemon the opportunity to do the right thing. Paul says, you know what? I have the authority to command you to do what is right as an apostle, but, but I want this to be your choice. Paul reveals a concern for Philemon's well-being in this, as well as Onesimus's. He wants Philemon to experience the blessing and the joy of doing things God's way. And so rather than make commands, Paul sets forth his case and, and gives Philemon the opportunity to do what is right. And I think we see something similar here in verse 12, that as Paul Uh, describes or shares the reason why he confronted the Corinthians. He didn't have to do this. Paul was not an insecure man. Sure, he was grieved by the way that that he was treated, but but he was no stranger to harsh treatment in his ministry and in his life. We've we've seen that, and and he refers to it again as we continue in our study of 2 Corinthians and in later chapters. Paul says, I, I, I wrote to you as I did, not for the sake of, uh, of, of the one who was guilty, the offender, nor for the sake of the one who was offended himself, but he wrote that their earnestness for us, for Paul and, the other, and, and, his, uh, and his companions, might be revealed to them in the sight of God. Now again, it's been over a month, but in our study of verses 2 through 7 of chapter 7, we were brought face to face with the necessity of love for one another in the church. We cannot claim to, to, to love God while hating other believers. And Paul confronts the, the Corinthians for, for treating him in an unloving way so that their repentance would reveal to them the the genuineness or the sincerity of their faith. Paul did more than than simply want them to make it right with them. He he wanted them to see that that as they made things right with him, as they renewed their love for him, that that in the sight of God, they were doing what was right. And and this would strengthen their faith. He wanted them to, to be assured and confirmed that their faith was real. 
He has more in mind than, than simply reconciliation on a, on a human scale. He wants them to be built up in their faith. And that really is the mature and loving way to deal with wrongs that are committed against us. Now, it's impossible to do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. But the goal of loving confrontation must be the spiritual good of those whom we confront. And it must be done in love. Let's move to our final point. The joy of God honoring repentance. Verses 13 through 16. Paul continues, Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Now, remember, just a few verses before, Paul is, is, is sharing how he was beside himself waiting to hear back from Titus after his visit to Corinth to, to deliver Paul's letter. Now, with the good report from Titus, Paul has comfort and joy. Now, I can't help but think about what Titus was facing in all this. He had a, a daunting task in being the one to deliver this letter. <laughs> hey, church, here's another letter from Paul. You, you know that apostle that you just mistreated and, 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 and made him leave town? <laughs> He was not a deliverer of good news. This was a, a harsh letter. But not only did the Corinthians repent of their sin against Paul, they also showed great love and hospitality to Paul's messenger, his representative Titus, who, who brought this severe letter. Verses 14 through 16 reveal Paul's confidence in the genuineness of the Corinthians' faith. Now, He's saying simply, listen, I, I told you that, I told Titus that, that you would respond. We, we bragged about your sincerity of faith and we were right. Now, verse 15, Titus loves you even more too. Your faithful obedience, your repentance has blessed him. Paul concludes by expressing his ongoing confidence to the, in the Corinthians. In these verses, verses 14 through 16, Paul is like a coach or a cheerleader cheering on his team from the sidelines. Keep going. You, you, you've done what is right. Press on. Be faithful. You can do it. God is with you. Great job. I am so proud of you. Oh, that we would all hear such encouragement by those who lead and guide us in the faith. Everyone involved in this scenario is experiencing joy because the Corinthians uh, repented of their sins. The, the Corinthians are experiencing joy. The, the one who had opposed Paul, who had been punished by the church, 
is now experiencing joy. We, we, Paul addresses this actually early on in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. He says, listen, you've punished this guy enough. Welcome him back. Love him. Care for him. What he has endured is sufficient. Welcome him back into the, into the body. The church itself is experiencing joy. Paul is experiencing joy. Titus is experiencing joy. Paul's companions are experiencing joy all because of this repentance that has taken place in Corinth. And this should be the response, brothers and sisters, when sin is repented of. Now, consequences might still exist in some circumstances, but joy at one's restoration must exist. We confront with the goal of seeing others built up in the faith, and when they respond, we rejoice with them because we see the evidence of the genuineness of their faith. We, we recognize that that, that that is a step in their growth in Christ's likeness. So we must rejoice as this takes place in the lives of other brothers and sisters. Now, as I close, I close with the question, how do we apply all of this? What do we do with this? And, and I want to just make a point that these five suggestions are, are statements that I'm about to, to make uh, apply to, to general situations when, when offense takes place in the context of, of our lives. I'm not referring necessarily to to, to abuse and illegal activities. These should be things that we take to legal authorities. Yes, the church may get involved with discipline, but but ultimately those are things that we pass on to legal authorities. But but in the general situations in life where we come up against one another and and invariably will, will sin against one another, how do we apply what we've learned to our lives? The, 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 the need to lovingly confront, the, the, the purpose of confrontation or the goal of it, and the joy that takes place when people repent. Well, well first of all, we remember that repentance truly is a way of life. For the Christian, we, we don't have to wait until we're confronted by others to repent. We are often convicted in our sin by the Holy Spirit. And that's more than enough to put us on the path of repentance. So we need to to recognize and be quick to repent when we see sin in our own lives. And this might involve us going to others if we've sinned against others, or it may simply involve repentance before the Lord. But but we go to him and we confess our sin and we ask for the strength and the help to, to press forward in faith, forsaking the sin that we have confessed. Next, we, we also need to remember to be uh, quick to forgive and to even overlook the minor offenses of others. We must always remember that we must forgive because we have been forgiven by God. Brothers and sisters, I try to be faithful to remind you that there is no sin that anyone has ever committed against us that is greater than the sins that we have been that we have committed against God and, and, and in Christ have been forgiven for by God. So how can we not be willing to overlook and and, and uh, forgive the offenses of others? Uh, Proverbs 19:11 speaks to this. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook 
an offense. So minor things we don't need to go and, and confront every time we feel like someone has sinned against us. Sometimes the right thing to do is, is because we have been forgiven by Christ, to simply offer forgiveness even when it has not been sought by others. Now, when the offense warrants confrontation, we must examine our own hearts first and, and we, got, we have to check our motives. This is the, the Matthew 7 principle that, that people like to refer to. Re- remove the log from your own eye before going to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, and we must do this when, when we do need to confront. We must have the spiritual well-being of those that we are confronting as our priority. We cannot go simply for a, our pound of flesh. You hurt me, so I want you to for, I want you to repent of your sin. Love dictates that as we go, we go as, as Paul went, not simply looking to, 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 to be justified, but to see our brother and sister growing in their relationship with the Lord. And I have to add here, brothers and sisters, when you are confronted, it is imperative that we assume the best of the person who is confronting us. We want to be able to to listen and receive that confrontation and recognize that we do sin against others. So we need to listen uh, with humility and assume that other person is doing it in love. Fourthly, We need to find joy in other people's repentance. God is glorified when people repent of their sin, and and the church is strengthened when people repent of their sin. So so, so even if it's a a situation that you hear about that has nothing to do with you, and and you hear of someone turning from their sin to Christ, whether it be from unbelief to salvation or whether it be a believer, you should rejoice. That's evident of of the Spirit's work in someone's life. And fifth, we should be like Paul and take comfort and confidence that true believers will ultimately respond in faith and repentance. It it may not be immediate, but, but look at what Paul wrote concerning the Corinthians. Everything I boasted about you to Titus was true. I know you believe and you responded in faith to the gospel. Brothers and sisters, immaturity and unwillingness to to view others through the lens of the gospel is the foundation of pettiness and division within the church. And this means that it is imperative that we prioritize our spiritual growth and that we are uh, daily in the word of God, reading and and feeding and, and, and worshiping that we are striving in faith to love one another well, and that we prioritize God's expectation and His promises in our lives. And the church will be built up and strengthened, and God will be glorified. Let's pray together. Lord, we often are easily offended we often are, are, are guilty of sinning against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray for the sake of your name and for the health of your church, Lord, that we would be 
uh, a body of believers who are quick to forgive one another. Lord, when we are confronted or when we have to confront, may all of it be done in love. And Lord, may we care more about how the world views you than we do being justified in our own sight. Help us to do this for our good and your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Press on, stand firm in these strange days. God is at work. He will be glorified through this pandemic and he will be glorified in our lives as we follow him faithfully. Thank you.